back to the second hour of Better Lawns and Gardens. Good morning. I'm Teresa Watkins. I'm a landscaper, landscape designer, horticulturist, and a garden author. I want to catch up on a couple of things because we had, uh, let's see, it was uh, Skip in Oviedo who had a question about pruning hawthorns that we didn't get a chance to answer the last hour. So I want to tell Skip, Skip, you can go ahead and prune your hawthorns right now, all the way up through, I would say, probably October. But after that, you want to let them go because they do bloom beautifully in the spring. But right now, you can cut them back if they're too big. Also, too, I had a text message about the banana trees. So the, so the wonderful texter who wanted to know about our banana trees said he also had a sable palm in lawn service cut his palms back, and they finally came back. When I looked at it, I read that as the bananas came back, but it's her palms. So here's what I want to tell you is don't let your landscape company cut back your palm trees if they're not if they do not have brown leaves. If the leaves are green, you should never cut palm trees back. Okay? That's going to um you know be detrimental to their health and it's not going to it's just not necessary. Do not cut sable palms back if their leaves or their fronds are not brown, okay? So don't let them do that. Yes, you can cut the suckers off down at the bottom. That's not a problem. But don't cut palm fronds if they're not brown. Uh, let's go to a uh, thank you for the text that says they're enjoying the show. That makes me feel so good. Uh, my crepe myrtles flower fully in the spring, but once the heavy rains start, most of the flowers are knocked off. Is there a variety of crepe myrtle that is a bit more hardy and can handle the heavy rains? Well, if the flowers are falling off with the rain, that means they've already bloomed and they're just falling off, okay? So the crepe myrtles only bloom once a year. We have our early bloomers, mid bloomers, and late bloomers. But if you cut the seed pods off, they may bloom again. So it just depends on what time of the year your crepe myrtles bloom. Cut the seed, po- uh, seed balls off, the pods off, and you can stimulate another growth so that you get a fall bloom on them. Most crepe myrtles will do that if you cut them back in time. Not the stems, just the seed pods, okay? So the heavy rains don't affect the uh, crepe myrtle at all. Uh, I just want to say a big shout-out to Beverly in Tallahassee, just saying hi. And then also to Mike. Mike, your dragon fruit is on the menu tonight. Uh, He gave me some beautiful dragon fruit. They, um, Mike was very brave, I have to tell you this, because he was getting poked by the prickly pear and the dragon fruit, which is growing on top of the prickly pear. And uh, so he gave me some of the fruit. And prickly pear and Sirius, the um, dragon fruit, uh, is from Mexico and Central America. The scientific name for the uh, cactus is Hylocereus undatus, and it's a cactus where the flowers only open at night. So I think a lot of people here in Florida have been seeing those uh, cactuses blooming. So this is the real deal. It produces delicious fruit. So thank you, Mike. So with your seeds sprouting, I thought it'd be appropriate for the week's dirty word of the day, the cotyledon. And if you caught Ed's uh, interview, he said it in the interview. Cotyledon are the first seed leaf or leaves that first emerge upon germination of the seed plants. They're not considered true leaves. And so in angiosperms, and that's another dirty word for another day, the number of cotyledons 
is an important taxonomic character used to separate two subclasses of flowering plants, the monocot and dicots. Cotyledons supply all the resources needed by the plant except water before the true leaves emerge, enabling the plant to photosynthesize. So how do you use it in a conversation? Well, you say, Susie, have you ever thinned your seedlings and lifted up a seed that was connected to a tiny new leaf? That leaf is a cotyledon. You can find all my dirty words that I provide each week, along with August what to do in your landscape, my design tips, and more on betterlawns.com. And so if you have a gardening question that you need answers to, you can give me a call. Colton will ask you for your city and your question. You can call one 455 2967 We have Lance Walheim coming up, and he's going to give us some really great tips on how to plant citrus in a container for your patio and balcony, too, as well. So you want to make sure you're, you do that. So what is blooming this month in the yard throughout most of Florida? Well, you can have bottle brush, canna lilies, crinums, firebush, frangipani, and frangipani are those beautiful flowers that the Hawaiians make the lays out of. It's also called plumeria. Gardenias are doing, still doing really well right now. Gingers, heliconias, exoras. This has to be one of the best years I've seen exoras blooming all over, wherever I've traveled in the state of Florida. Exoras are doing really well. I see them out in front of a lot of HOA communities. And in the medians, I've been very impressed with their efforts this year. Lantana, lion's ear, pinwheel jasmine, which is one of my favorite shrubs to plant. It has beautiful white flowers that shine at night. And so you want to uh, uh, you know, use those in your garden. Plumbago, golden dewdrops, hibiscus, roses, drotropha, and society garlic, and so many more. Do you have a gardening question for me? You can call us at one triple eight four five five two nine six seven, or text at two three six eight zero. I'm Teresa Watkins, and you're listening to Florida's Talk and Entertainment Network. Lawns and Gardens. I don't want to take any time away from my next interview because I want to expound on the amazing experience of our next guest, Lance Walheim. He's been on Better Lawns and Gardens for years with Tom and I, and he is just such a great, great interview. He's a prolific author who's written or contributed to over 30 gardening books published by all the garden giants, including IDG, Sunset, Ortho, and the HP Books Publishing Company. He's worked on the Sunset Magazine, we've all read those, and the Sunset Western Garden Book, and the Southern Living Gardening Book. He's also authored books called Citrus, The National Rose Gardener, and Rose for Dummies, Landscaping for Dummies, and Lawn Care for Dummies. So I know that is, you know, those dummy series are just excellent. You'll also find Lance Gardening expertise in home landscaping, 
California region and landscaping in the Lowe's Home Improvement Centers. Lance has served as a gardening expert for bio-advanced lawn and garden products for over 20 years, and he appears regularly on local and national TV and radio shows. Lance, has, we have a lot of new listeners. I just had to go through your background one time for everybody. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing great, Teresa. Congratulations on the new show. You're sounding fantastic. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. How's everything on the West Coast? What, what, what are you going through right now? Hot, dry, and smoky. We don't, you know, with the weather, it's supposed to be 106 today, I oh think. Oh, my um, gosh. And then we're just, you know, we're in the middle of a drought. And then we've got the fires on top of it. We don't have any fires real close by, but the smoke blows down this way. And once it gets in the valley, it's uh, does it's hard to get rid of. And so it's it's not the most pleasant weather we can experience here in California. No, they're really talking dog days. It's really brutal for you guys. And, and you're not getting the rain that we get here in Florida. No, that's right. We're a true Mediterranean climate. We don't get any rain from... Oh, about May till October. So, um, you know, that allow, that dry climate allows us to grow a lot of things. We don't get diseases. We grow tons of different types of fruit and things. But um, when we don't get any rain in winter, it, it's a long, hot, dry summer. Yeah. Well, I am bummed because the citrus greening has really devastated Florida. Do you have it in California? Yeah, unfortunately we do, especially in the L.A. basin. Uh, they've just recently found it in the San Diego area. for So all those areas are pretty, under pretty strict um, quarantines and things. Up where we are, we do have the psyllid, but we don't have the disease yet. But, you know, wherever the psyllid goes, the disease it, usually follows. It's going gonna, it's gonna to arrive sooner or later. Um, so the yeah. citrus trees, I, I grew up with them, you know, and they were living for decades, you know, 50, 60, 70 years. Now they're dying so quickly. But what's the prognosis for citrus now? Well, I think we have to be optimistic. Um, there's a lot of money being spent on research, and they're coming up with all sorts of different solutions. So we're just going to keep our fingers crossed and, and hope for the best and hope all gardeners know what the symptoms are, look for them, and if they have to remove the tree, they need, they need to do that. Right. And so, so Florida gardeners can still have citrus because we're allowed to sell it and it's certified citrus greening free. But what's a great way? We don't want to put them in the ground. Can we enjoy them in containers easier? Oh, oh, absolutely. You know, the citrus has a long history of being grown in containers. If you've, if you've ever been over to Europe and see the orangeries, you know that citrus can be grown in containers for a long time. But you have to remember that these are, are big plants, and they need special care to keep them really looking their best. But if you follow um, you know, what we're going to talk about, you're going to have some of the best-looking container plants around because they're beautiful. They have fragrant flowers, beautiful fruit. Uh, it's worth growing them in containers. Oh, I think so, too. So what citrus does well in pots? Well, theoretically, you could grow almost anything in pots, uh, citrus in pots, any type. But... You know, they're big trees, so vigorous varieties like lemons, uh, grapefruits, pumelos, you know, those are going to be a little bit tougher. But smaller varieties, Meyer lemon is perfect. It's so prolific and so good-looking. It's one of my favorites. It smells so good. Yeah, and it's a compact tree that sits very neatly into a pot. Um, The kumquats and the kumquat hybrids like orange quats, they're beautiful in pots because they just load up on fruit. Some of the smaller oranges like a caracara, smaller mandarins, say like a satsuma, limes, those are all good choices, but it really makes sense to kind of stay with some of the smaller ones, more compact varieties. 
So what um, kind of pots should we use? Well, you know, if you're going to have a great-looking citrus tree, it deserves a great-looking pot, in my opinion. Um, the bigger, the better, obviously. I think, you know, at least 30 inches across is a good idea. You can grow them in half barrels. Some of the glazed ceramics and the plastic pots, you know, they're going to reduce evaporation. But, you know, there's nothing better than a great-looking citrus plant in a, in a basic clay pot or anything else. So you're going to be looking at that tree for a long time, so, so get something nice. I got to have drained it. I so, so agree with you. So you just mentioned drainage. What kind of soil do, do, do you put in the pots and what kind of drainage is needed? Well, you definitely need a drainage hole in the bottom of the pot. And you don't want to let any citrus tree sit in a, you know, a catch basin that's going to have water in it. You don't want the, the roots wet consistently. Um, ideally, you want to use a high-quality potting soil. You don't want to put garden soil in the pot. It's not going to drain well enough. Um, a good potting soil is going to give you the aeration and the water and nutrient retain, retention that you're going to need. So, so, so get a good soil. the soil, excuse me, I'm sorry, uh, the soil that has the extra moisture prills in it, uh, is, is that recommended? Yeah, I, I use that uh, often. That's a good way to go. That'll increase, you know, take some of the uh, pressure off for keeping them moist because that's one of the main challenges is keeping a large plant in a big container wet. Excellent. So, and there's no need for shards in the bottom of a pot anymore. No, there really isn't. That's kind of a an old myth. No, no gravel, no shards. Uh, um, you know, sometimes if you've got a big hole in the bottom and soil's coming out or something, you might want to just put a little, you know, something that kind of arches over it. But you don't need anything in the bottom of the pot. Yeah, I always use like a big piece of pine bark um, from the mulch area. So, how do you fertilize your citrus trees in containers? Well, that's one of the, the most important things because, you, you know, citrus, anything grown in a container, you have to water it more frequently. And so you're going to be leaching nutrients out. I, nitrogen is going to be the most important nutrient. You want to use a liquid fertilizer, but it should have micronutrients. That's very important. Zinc, iron, and manganese at least. Read the label to make sure that those are in there. I recommend you fertilize um, at least once a month, but I really prefer if you want the best-looking trees to do it. Um, every two weeks, and you can don't be afraid to get some of that fertilizer on the leaves. Do some foliar feeding because that's also a great way to keep them really green, nice, and bright. And it'll help with the, the uh, citrus greening too, as well. That's right. The micronutrients play a big role. You want to keep the trees um, growing vigorously, and using micronutrients is very important. And you have to be careful. A lot of the fertilizers out there don't have those micronutrients in them, so. Learn to read a fertilizer label and make sure you get the right fertilizer. That's so true. Now, so how do you get citrus trees pollinated if they're inside a patio or on a balcony or, you know, in a, in a space that's enclosed? You don't really have to worry about it. Most citrus is uh, self-fertile, so um, there's plenty of pollen floating around, so you don't really have to worry about pollination with the citrus. Excellent. So BMPs for fruit and containers, all fruits and containers, what would you say the best management practices should be? Well, make sure that you're watering properly. Um, That's very important. As these trees get bigger, um, it's going to be harder and harder to get the water into the root ball because they're going to be root bound. So you want to make sure that you hit that pot with the hose a couple different times. Make sure that the root ball hasn't separated from the side of the containers and the water's going down the side. Um, So just make sure you thoroughly wet that root ball. Um, do it frequently. They're going to dry out 
um, you know, pretty quickly. Right. You don't want any pots sitting in the basins. And then, but you know, eventually over the years, your potting soil is going to break down um, and the plants are really going to get root bound. You might want to consider doing some root pruning. And that basically means you pull it out of the pot um, and you shave off an inch or two of the outside of the root ball, put it back in the pot, and then put new soil around that. I've done that. It's a little bit daunting, um, but it can really revitalize a plant that's gotten a little bit root bound. Oh, I agree. I recommend that every two years or so for all plants and pots. Yeah, that's good advice. Yeah. So, so Lance, thank you so much. Your citrus book. Tell my listeners how you can get your books. You can get it online. Um, it's uh, just about everywhere on the usual processes, the Amazons and so forth. If you just Google my name, it'll come up. It'll be. And it's a great book, and it's beautiful. It's got wonderful pictures in it. Thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you so much for joining me this morning, Lance, and getting up so early. I appreciate it. We'll have you back on soon. My pleasure, Teresa. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Bye-bye. That's Lance Walheim. You can get his Citrus book uh, online. Just Google Lance Walheim. All of his books, his dumb, you know, dummy series for roses, your landscape, your lawn, are all available online. And uh, they're great books to have for your garden bookshelf. So they're very important. Let's um, go to Alex in Melbourne. Good morning, Alex. How can we help you? Well, you can help me by telling me how to get rid of torpedo grass in my yard, the best method, uh, um, short of just pulling everything up. Uh, but the trouble is, is my whole yard is really um, torpedo grass, and and um, it also has other weeds in it. Some of them are kind of pretty with little flowers and stuff. Right. But um, And I've also got sand spurs out there. Oh, my goodness. So, You've got to yeah, deliver there. Well, I will tell you, I, you, you could spend thousands of dollars on chemicals and not mm-hmm. get rid of it at this stage. It sounds like really? you need to start over and just it will be cheaper for you to dig it all up and then mm-hmm. put down new sod. Oh, my. Okay. All right. Because, because I, I, already... can, I mean, your chemicals, you're going to have to keep putting it down, but your gr- ground is going to be bare. If it's in your entire lawn, your, you know, your front yard or your backyard, then you just you're you're going to have to keep doing it and reapplying it, and it's just going to be expensive. The, the going yeah, going yeah, the I've, way of I've sod is cheaper. Up. I have used some of that, and of course that kills kills it. But uh, then it still comes up, and it's difficult to get the whole root up because it is down there. I mean, you can't really always yank them out. That's for sure. No, that's after. that's right. The rhizomes, you know, you, you're not going to be able to get it out, and it's going to be stronger, especially during the summertime. The you know the the uh, torpedo grass is stronger than what the herbicides can 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 manage. So oh, I definitely would suggest you, you know, even if you just do a portion of your yard at a time, you know, uh, do the front yard and then do the backyard. But, uh, you know, going away well, of new lawn is, is just better. I do have hibiscus out there and also a bougainvillea and things like that uh, and other plants. And I try to keep the weeds away from that uh, without using Roundup or anything. But... Um, but even there, it's difficult. So how do you how do you manage the weeds around the plants? Uh, you know, you you put in uh, a new lawn and a new new or new plants. Okay, thank you so okay. much, Alex. I got to run. We got a hard break okay. coming up. If you have a gardening question you need answers to, call us at four zero seven nine one six fifty four hundred. I've got a great butternut squash question coming up. I'm Teresa Watkins. You're listening to Florida's Talk and Entertainment Network.
Welcome back to Better Lawns and Gardens. If you have a gardening question, let me help you. Call me at one 455 2967 or you can text me at 23680. If you missed any of today's show, you can hear it on betterlawns.com or on my website, she-consulting.com, Audioboom, iHeart, iTunes, and Amazon. You can always find the archives and uh, you can listen to the show or you can just email me and I will let you know. I'll send you the links to those. We have a great question and it says, I've been told that it's best to rotate crops in a raised bed. In your opinion, can butternut squash be planted in a bed that had cucumbers? And they said, thank you. Well, you're welcome. But you want to switch the plant families. Okay, so squash family is the cucumber, zucchini, winter squash, melons, butternut squash. You don't want to plant those again. You want to mix it with another plant family. And those could be cabbage families, tomato families, and the bean family. But here's the point. Bean families, they enrich the soil. They don't take away from it. They really do very well on fixating the nitrogen, and they add nutrients to the soil. The cabbage family and the tomato family and the squash family are very heavy feeders. So you want, I I would, you know, change it up, switch it up to putting in some beans in that area. And then rotate your crops every year. You definitely want to do that. Switch it between squash, cabbage, and tomato families, and then the bean family too. Hope that answers your question. Let's go to Mark in Vieira. Good morning, Mark. How can I help you? Uh, hi, I have um, a floor tan yard, uh-huh. and in the same spot, annual, almost annually, uh, I get a die-off of an area about six foot wide, regardless of it being sprayed with fungicide and insecticide. Okay, why do you spray with all the the uh, pest controls, or because it, it starts to the blades begin to get yellow, and it dies down to the dirt. In okay. an area about six feet wide. Okay. So what I want you to do first is when, you know, when grass starts to turn yellow, there's a reason for it, but it's usually not insects. Okay. It's usually a disease issue. Okay. So it could be a fungus. It could be a virus or, you know, it's some kind of disease. It's not usually related to plants when it turns yellow. All right. So I want you to definitely make sure what you have first before you put any chemicals on it. And so when, when, this area, is it a square pattern? No, it's um, irregular, actually. It's actually irregular. Okay. So, you know, I'm not saying, well, I did say it wasn't probably an insect issue, but let's look at it. Does it turn slimy and, and yellow, or does it turn crackly brown and yellow? Crackly uh, starts out with some specks of yellow on the top of the leaf, and then it progresses down the blade. Okay. And so how often do you water it? Uh, almost next this year, almost none. It's right, good. Been a very wet year. Okay, here. good. I'm very proud of you. Okay, so here's the things that I want you to to look for. I want you to do get a so, a sample of your grass and soil in the area that's dead. Um, it, if it is insects, it's either chinch bugs or sod web worms, and so you want to see if there's any insects in that uh, that area. And so you can do uh, a you know test for that. Or you can take a sample of your grass to uh, the extension agency. That would be what county? You're in Brevard? 
Yes. Okay, you're in Brevard County. So I would take a sample of your grass to the, and go down about three to four inches, get the root system with it, take it to the Brevard Extension Office, and have them look at it. If it's a disease issue, they'll be able to tell you that, or they'll be able to find the insects in it or see the damage in it. Because if this is dying every year, I would want to know that your irrigation system's working and that you're getting, you know, uh, adequate water there. But if it's dying in years that you have the rain, it could be a disease issue or it could be an insect issue. But I don't want you to put any kind of herbicides or insecticides on it till you know what you have because it's just probably wasting your money. And, you know, you want to make sure that you've identified the problem. How does that sound? Sounds good. Okay. Thank you so much, Mark. Appreciate it. Let's go to Greg in Tallahassee. Greg's got a Zoysia question. Good morning, Greg. You can take my call. Oh, you're welcome. Some Zoysia that I put down recently, about a month ago, uh-huh. and I need to put some fungicide on it and some grub. You're breaking up, Greg. I really can't hear you. Are, are you driving or... Can you hear me now? I can. Yes, thank you. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. No, go ahead. Repeat your question. I put down zoysia about a month ago, and Uh I need to put some fungicide down on it because it's just been so rainy here, and I also need to put some grub be going on it. So I was wondering, do I need to split those apart? Do I need to water them? I I was trying to do them both over the weekend, so just seeing the order or if I should wait between those two. Yeah, I would wait till after Fred comes through and it kind of dries out, okay? But Because your fungicide, you know... When you put it down, the zoysia down, you should have put the fungicide down on it immediately. Okay, so... Now, I've, I've already put one application down on okay. it. Oh, after, good. You know, so I've, I've already gone through one, one application. Okay. Uh, so I was looking at, you know, to do what, just one more. Right. Go ahead and, and wait till after Fred and then put the other application down. Then that's fine. That's good because the fungicide should last about 30 days. That's good. And then I would wait till the next weekend and then put down your grubicide. Great. Okay. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for listening. You stay safe this week. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Uh huh. Let's go to Mark in Winter Garden. Good morning, Mark. Good morning. How are you? I am great. How are you? Doing good. Thank you. So um, we've got a new semi-dwarf uh, crepe myrtle. We planted in January. Uh huh. Um, at the end of June, first of July, it bloomed beautifully, and that lasted for about two weeks two, three weeks, and now there's just a couple tiny little blooms on it uh-huh. and these little round green balls, but it's all of a sudden not blooming anymore. Right. Crepe myrtles bloom usually just once a year, and uh, so your next time it's going to get a really nice flush of color is going to be next spring or this time, you know, or whenever it bloomed this year, next year, okay? So, uh, you know, you might not get another uh, bloom on it, but if you cut those seed pods off and you're fertilizing on a regular basis, it could bloom for you again this year. Oh, okay. Okay. And you don't recommend trimming these, do you? No, I do not. Do not commit crepe murder. <laughs> All right. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. No reason to cut it back. So uh, let's see. I have a few more minutes. I want to tell you, I was thrilled this week with news that just has just made me so excited. I first started teaching water conservation in 1999 with Florida Yards and Neighborhoods Water Conservation Program in Orange Lake and Seminole Counties. At that time, the average water use in the St. Johns River Water Management District's 18 counties was 155 
gallons per person per day in 2001. 155 gallons. Well, yesterday, August 12th, St. John's River, or I guess it would be Thursday, St. John's River Water Management District's Executive Director, Ann Shortell, announced water use in 2020 was 1% lower than the five-year average. All right, so daily per capital use dropped to 115 gallons per person per day, and that's amazing. 40 gallons less per person per day per year, despite a population growth of 40%. So well done, Florida and the water management districts. We're going to be back with more of Better Lawns and Gardens. I'm Teresa Watkins, and you're listening to Florida's Talk and Entertainment Network. And welcome back to Better Lawns and Gardens. I'm Teresa Watkins. If you're new, you still have time for your phone calls at one 45 lawns That's one 45 or you can text me at 23680. I have a great text message. It says, good morning, Teresa. In an effort to sunbake nematodes in the garden soil, should clear or black plastic be used? And it's definitely clear. If you want to use a clear uh, one to four millimeter painter's uh, plastic, no white, no black. You want the clear so that the ground gets hot enough uh, from the sunlight to solarize that area and sunbake it and get rid of those nematodes. So that's a great, great question. Also, too, uh, if you uh, would like to give me a call, that would be great. One triple eight four. Five five two nine six seven. I need those of you in South Florida, okay, who are listeners. I would love to get more listeners calling me, not calling me, emailing me. Yeah, that would be great. You could also call, but emailing and texting me what kind of weather's going on in your yard, what you're experiencing in your gardens. We have a great response from North Florida. Go Tallahassee, but Central Florida. I get great response there, too. But I need more of you in South Florida to let me know what's going on in your gardens. I would love to hear from you. I would love to see your pictures. And you can go on to betterlawns.com and email me through there. And that will be great. And I'll respond back to you and, uh, you know, let you know what I think about what's going on in your garden. So that would be really great. So that's South Florida. I would love to have more emails from you and let me know how you're doing. What can you be planting for vegetables right now? You can go on to thebetterlawns.com, and I have for North Florida, and then Central Florida, and then South Florida, what vegetables should be doing. But herbs, this is basically pretty much for the whole state of uh, Florida. You can be planting anise, bay laurel, basil, borage, chives, dill, fennel, Now, you're going to see the butterfly and pollinators eating those, so be careful about that. Uh, Ginger, lemon balm, mint, oregano, parsley, rosemary, sage, 
and you thought I was going to say thyme, didn't you? But no, sweet marjoram, tarragon, and thyme. So those are the herbs you can be growing right now. Let's real quick go to Eileen and Stuart. Good morning, Eileen. Good morning. How are you? I am good. Thank you for calling. Good. I have a question about my bird of paradise. Okay. I, I'm not sure. Should I be having the shoots coming up now, like the actual bird of paradise flowers? How, how long has it been in the ground? Um, it was a year in May. Okay. It's still a little early. Did you go from a pot to the ground, or did you just buy it new and put it in the ground? Uh, bought it new and then went into the ground. Okay. So it, as soon as it goes in the ground, bird of paradises like to get their roots established before they put any energy into blooming. So what that means is they like to be root bound. So you want to keep those roots. If you take it out of a pot and put it in the ground, keep those roots as tight as possible. Do not open them up and fluff them like some uh, some recommendations are for putting plants in. Bird of paradises are different. They like to be root bound and underneath that stress, so they bloom. So I'm going to say, if long as you're fertilizing every you know on a consistent basis with slow release blooming fertilizer, they should start blooming for you next year. Okay, and is um. Osmocote okay for me to be fertilizing because that's what I've been putting down. Sure, sure. That's okay. that's good. That's good. Okay, oh. so they just like to be under stress and root bound. So you you did a great job, and it should do really well for you. But the blooms should start coming next year, next spring. Okay, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure. Thank you so much for calling. I appreciate it. All right. Bye bye. Bye bye. And so, uh, if you'd like to give me a text two three six eight zero. And let me know, uh, you can tell me what's going on in your neighborhood or what you're doing to get rid of, you know, to get ready for Freddie. Ready for Freddie. How does that sound? I don't know if the weathermen are calling him Freddie Colton. You know, that's kind of like a scary monster movie. I can't hear you. (laughs) I'm telling the producer to turn on his sound. So, Freddie, we'll, we'll just say Fred, okay? Just keep him at an arm. That's a little less threatening. It's a little less threatening. Freddie does sound a little friend, friend threatening there. Okay, so remember, so with this rain coming, you do not want to fertilize this weekend. You do not want to put anything down that's going to leach out. No reason to do that. Don't cut down any, you know, fronds or anything and place them at your street uh, because there's nobody going to be taking them away, and they may just, you know, fly up in, you know, very high winds. If you do cut anything down, you want to make sure it's secure and and attached to the ground so that it doesn't fly away. All right. So uh, also too, if you've missed any of today's show, you can hear we had a really great interview with Ed about uh, what's to do in your gardening with your seedlings that are coming up. If you don't know how to thin your seedlings, and you need to go back and listen to what Ed said. He's really got some great advice. You can do that on the betterlawns.com site and then also too, or you can go to iHeartRadio or iTunes and download the podcast. That'll be uh, going up as soon as the show is over. Also too, Lance Walheim uh, told you about planting citrus in containers. Let's not give up on them. Let's do the best we can and get through this. You know, they've shown that citrus greening has been around for centuries. They talked about it in China a long time ago. So it just goes through these, you know, uh, times, uh, years where we have these diseases and then we find ways to get rid of them or they just kind of go away on their own. 
So, uh, you know, planting your citrus in a container uh, is a great way to do it. We're not going to, you know, expect them to last 20, 30, 40 years like we did in the good old days of citrus groves uh, back in Florida with that great citrus smell. But you can still have one on your patio. So that's a really good idea. Um, Also, too, uh, Lance's book, Citrus, if you'd like to have a really great book on citrus, beautiful photographs, you can get that, too, as well on, uh, you know, any of the uh, online uh, bookstores and also Amazon, too, as well. Let's go to bulbs. You know, if you're looking for plants to grow right now, African iris, agapanthus, and amaryllis, planting them now will get them in time there for spring flower flowering. The agapanthus should bloom still this year. Bulbine is doing really great. I just put it in a landscape. Nice succulent yellow flowers. Cannas and crinums you can plant. Daylilies you can plant. They will bloom next spring. And then also your gladiolus. Your gladiolus will bloom this winter time if you plant them now. Gloriosa lily. I just saw some blooming. It's a great small vine that looks great in pots if you don't have a lot of room. It's gorgeous. Then also kaffir lilies and Louisiana irises you can plant. Society garlics, rain lilies, one of my favorite plants, and then walking irises. If you have houseplants right now, this is a great time of the year to transplant root-bound and poorly drained foliage plants. You know, they're not going to stay in that pot forever without you doing some kind of maintenance on them where you're going to upkeep them. Maybe do some root pruning and adding some more soil to get them ready for the fall. It's also a great time, especially if they're hanging down with lots of great leaves and stems, to go ahead and make cuttings of your favorite plants and start those again. And then that'll be great. Orchids and bromeliads can go uh, indoors when they bloom, but you can still put them outdoors in a nice shady location. And they'll, they'll be fine until probably around October, November, December, and then you can bring them back in. You know, orchids bloom when there's a 20-degree temperature drop. So as we're in the 90s right now and we start going into the fall, October, November, and it drops that 20 degrees, you'll start to set the orchid into motion to bloom. So, you know, putting them outside is a great way to get them to rebloom. In fact, just put them underneath the tree and forget them. They'll do really fine. I'd like to thank our guest today, Ed Thralls, Orange County Residential Hort Agent, for helping us with our vegetable upstarts. Check Eventbrite, uh, Orange County Extension, for their classes. And then, of course, Lance Walheim, author of Citrus, for sharing his expertise. Thank you, Colton. I appreciate all that you do. It's wonderful to have you on Thank every week. Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, you do a great job, and, and I, I love having you here. I want you to join me on Facebook, our Better Lawns page on Facebook, and like it. That will be really good. And then join me next week with a cup of tea and more Better Lawns and Gardens. I'm Teresa Watkins. This is Florida's Talk and Entertainment Network. See you next week. <laughs>